Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie here. Jacob Wilson behind the scenes, making sure we look good and sound good. And, man, there has been a lot going on since we last joined everybody. You've had the transfer portal blew up. It's coming to a halt today. Uh, recruiting has really started to pick up. You got my, my Twitter feed is just filled with recruits, getting offers, pouring in. Taking visits. All taking that visits. Coaches, boots on the ground. Uh, and then I think last night, man, if you had an opportunity to watch K-State and Kansas men's basketball game, that was everything that Ooh. is glorious about college athletics. Yep. Like, I, Kansas, look, all the credit into the world, uh, you know, they balled out. Wilson really balled out. But K-State stuck it to them, held out in the end, the inbounds play with the, the alley-oop. Jerome Tang just letting it be known. I mean, like, you got Jerome Tang Turner uh, on. You've got a rivalry game. You've got overtime. Alley-oop. Oh, and who finished that alley-oop? The guy who had heart issues and collapsed mm. on the court years ago in his comeback. You can't He is that. thriving now. Like, woo. It, it was really remarkable, man. And I, I just – that right there, when I was seeing that, I was like, this is why college sports are so special. And, you know, I, I, we all know Jerome Tang um, from his time here at Baylor. Wish him the, the best of success going forward. But we got a lot of topics oh, yeah, to get wait, to. Wait, what what you got? What you got? We didn't talk about the speech he gave after the oh. game that gave me – goosebumps dude standing up on top of the scores table and you got the the, the crowd just all around you I you're mean, bringing your players half. in and then he lets them know you get i promise you you get one court storming after this expect to win that Holy crap is how you change a culture that's how you set yeah, the standard like, in the bar man it, it was so impressive and look they're gonna have a lot of success up there in manhattan uh, the Big 12 is absolutely loaded. It's a gauntlet, night in, night out. Uh, but as far as our basketball goes today, we'll dive into the SEC. There's been a lot of mixed emotions, a lot of just off-the-court issues, uh, some coaching. Like, when you look at Calipari, there's so many question marks there and his future and where Kentucky's at as a whole. But we're also going to get into, for better or worse, uh, USA Today uh, put out an article where it was like grading teams from last year, uh, starting with A plus on down. Uh, and then you have articles out there talking about quarterbacks, returning quarterbacks. Yeah. So me and you come up with the idea. We thought it'd be intriguing to look at some of the teams that where they ranked last year in the USA Today article with the quarterbacks you're returning. And are you going to be able to take a step forward? Or are you going to be able to go backwards? I think that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get into that. We're also going to get into the Big Ten. We've touched yep. a lot on the Pac-12. We've, we've discussed their quarterbacks. We've touched on the, the Big 12 before. But I think there's a lot going on in the Big 10. Kevin Warren is out. Um, you have a lot of coaching changes going on. Luke Fickle coming in. 
they've been killing it in the transfer portal. Matt yeah. Rule, what he's been able to do with his staff. So we'll get into that as well. And then our last college football topic for the day is probably what's going to be my favorite, the best college football games from 2022. This is intriguing. Like, And I know there's going to be a lot, and people can differ with us. And, you know, look, I, a lot of these games, some of the ones we've chose are because we were there. We had an opportunity to see them in person. And we'll also get into some of our – Maybe um, honorable mention games, per se, as well. But before we do that, let's dive into this 2022 quarterbacks, for better or worse. So we're looking at this article, and there's two teams that really jumped out to me. And while we can go numerous ways with this, but I think Kansas State is a really intriguing one, and also LSU. And when I look at this, Jack, I'm looking at Kansas State. They have a lot of talent that they lost last year. Um, on this, they were ranked as an A team. They were 10 yep. and 4, your both Big 12 champs. And both teams got A's. And Will Howard, I think, was really an intriguing story because Adrian Martinez came in as your starter. And at the end, Will Howard took over and just kind of took the reins and stole the show from them. And I just think that there's a lot of uh, positives going forward for him, but the talent loss around him is where I'm concerned when you're looking at the Kansas State team. Yeah, I mean, you're losing Deuce Vaughn, you're losing Malik Knowles, and you're at a place that doesn't necessarily always have game breakers like that. So how they replace those guys, how much they have to end up relying on Will Howard taking that step forward and becoming the guy there, that that's going to be a big thing to watch going into next year. I think one positive, though, and when I say this, take it with a grain of salt because we saw it last year at Baylor, Kansas State is returning all of their offensive linemen. That's big. And that's very big. But can they take advantage of it to where Baylor was not able to take advantage of it for the most part? And then as far as your receivers go, last year there were times where Malik Knowles was unavailable. I think you can go back to the Big 12 championship game, probably being the most notable. Uh, but you're able to kind of add and not necessarily, I don't know if you're going to be able to replace him, uh, but you're able to bring in uh, Keegan Johnson from Iowa. I mean, he did a lot of great things in what was a when he had an opportunity to catch the ball. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to really, I think he's posed for a breakout season. You actually can spread the ball out and throw him the rock. So I'm interested to see. And then you also got Phillip Brooks coming back. He had uh, some production last year for the Wildcats. He was really overshadowed by Malik. But now that he has an opportunity to step up and grow into his own player, I'm really looking for him to flourish at that position as well. Yeah, I'm with you, honestly, there. I, I, I have faith in, in this Kansas State program. I do think they will reload better than most. I think I don't expect them to get have complacency and issues with returning players on that offensive line like, say, Baylor did right. this past year. And I just think that uh, uh, Colin Klein's their OC, right? Yes. Just he's been there. He – he knows what I think he knows what he's doing in this conference. I think he knows what he's doing with young quarterbacks. And even though at this point Will Howard's not that young, he's been on campus for how many years? He's been there for a minute, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I don't know why they didn't start Will Howard earlier this past year. I remember when Adrian Martinez went out when they were here in Waco. I was like, oh crap. Yeah. When your starter goes out. And then and the backup comes in, and you're like, I think the odds of my team winning just went down. That says something. I, well, the, I think his, his situation was was different because coming in, I really didn't know what to expect. I, I thought he would obviously do better than Nebraska. You know, and I think when you had the, the counterpart and Deuce Vaughn to kind of run the option, I think that's really what they were leaning on. But ultimately, they weren't able to spread the field 
Yeah, and that's what bit them. I I hate to hate to go down this route of like comparing to Baylor, but it it's like it's like Gary Bohannon and Blake Shapin. Oh yeah, the, the, Martinez was the Bohannon, and they stuck with him as long as they as they could make it feasible. And then injuries happened. Compared to Baylor, just straight up, Shapin won the job, but Shapin wasn't able to step up. Will Howard stepped up right. and took his team to the promised land. I'm not trying to take away the Big 12 championship from Shapin from two years ago, but point is, I think that Kansas State, honestly, I see a lot of parallels there, and I think Kansas State's going to take more advantage in this coming year than Baylor did this past year. Well, I would hope so. I mean, I, I think that when you look at what happened with Baylor, everybody's looking at that saying, well, we can't let that happen to us. And, you know, I think that's really a situation where I don't see Kansas State doing that. But my real concern is how do you replace a player like Deuce Vaughn? I mean, this guy was so electric. He was really the the face of your program for so long, and he did so much. I mean, even <laughs> the, the answer is you don't. You don't replace Deuce Vaughn. There's not another Deuce Vaughn or Darren Sproles walking through that door immediately. Chances are they'll get one eventually, but they're not going to get one for next year. Like, I don't think anyone on their roster can do what Deuce did. No. <laughs> like, so it's just about trying to replace the different parts. Do you have a running back who – has the game-breaking speed and the vision of Deuce. Do you have a another running back or a slot wide receiver who can play that role in the passing game and maybe run routes out of the backfield that mm -hmm. stress the defense in similar ways? And just overall, can your offense shift from more centered on Deuce to more centered on Will Howard? I mean, it's going to have to. I think you're going to see more of a balanced attack this year. Uh, but they were able to address the, the issue in the transfer portal. They brought over uh, Treshawn Ward from Florida State. Uh, this is a kid that balled out over there for two seasons. He ran for over 1,200 yards, averaged 7.2 yards a carry. I think that's really Ooh. impressive. Okay. And then you put him behind an experienced offensive line and a program who was known for pounding the ball. I think he's uh, poised for a breakout season. You also have uh, DJ Giddens coming back. This is a kid that was a freshman last year. He did really you well. Your homework. I know. He did really <laughs> well in kind of uh, sparing Deuce when he would get tired. Um, but this is a cat that's 6'1", 212 pounds. So he's a big man. He's big, man. So I'm interested to see what they can do there. But as far as taking a step forward, taking a step back, being idle, when you look at Kansas State. I'm more concerned about the defense than about the offense. Oh, definitely. They're just – I think they're they're going to lose some some guys in the secondary to the NFL or yeah. at least to, to guys who are trying to go to the NFL. So, um, But I think you and I – are fairly in step on Kansas State, at least more so than other teams are going to get to here in this segment. Do you think they're idle? They stay the same? Stay I, a step I back? Think, I, think, I think they will be competing to be in the Big 12 championship game. Do they actually make it there? And do they? I don't think they win it again, and I think it's going to be tough for them to make it there. But, I mean, who knows? They, they should be competing for it. They should. I, I just I think they're going to take a slight step back, but I think the following seasons when you're going to see them really rebound. Uh, but another team that's really interested is LSU. Yep. And look, oh boy, LSU really exceeded expectations, like without a doubt. Brian Kelly coming in, you have that first loss to Florida State, really gut riching in the Superdome where you don't lose a lot of your games. But if you go back and look at that final drive, how they were able to march the length of the field, and while they weren't able to, to ultimately score and win, I think it kind of set the, the standard that we're not going to give up. We found our identity. We just found it a little too late in this ball game. But this is a team, dude, where 
this year you had two freshmen on your offensive line. You're playing in the SEC against defensive linemen that are, I mean, just bred to go to the NFL. And they held their own. And while their running back room didn't really live up to the standard that you see traditionally with uh, LSU, I think that they were per, they were solid. But there's so much more room to grow. Now, Jalen Daniels, I wasn't sure about him. Yeah, let's he, he get was, to the QB part of the He piece. was very hit or miss all season long. He had his most productive season, though, since his freshman, freshman year at Arizona State. Uh, he had 68.6% completion rating, threw for almost 3,000 yards. But this is where it really stands out to me. 17 touchdowns to just three interceptions. That is remarkable. That's pretty efficient. That's pretty efficient. And your receivers, Kayshawn Booty, who was supposed to be a star, was so damn absent most of the year, it was absurd. But he still put up numbers like that. My big thing with Daniels is inconsistency, maybe not inefficiency, but inconsistency and injury risk. His play style has a higher injury risk. He's not he's not a super sturdy looking dude. He right. doesn't like you saw when he hurt his ankle in the year, that's when LSU really started struggling. Yep. Because that took away a big element to his game. But I also think right there is that kind of goes back to what I was saying with the running backs. If you would have had your running backs playing like they used to, that could have alleviated some of that. And that also would have took pressure off of Daniels not having to run so much. Well, that gets me to to my biggest thing is, does he even win the job? Because I think Nussmeyer's potential as a pocket-passing quarterback, if you can get back to an LSU that has those running backs, that can run play action and doesn't need the running quarterback, doesn't need the quarterback who puts himself at great injury risk, getting outside the pocket, getting hit by these massive... <laughs> massive and powerful SEC linebackers and D linemen. Like, I just, I question if Daniels is even going to end up being the guy at the end of the year next year for LSU. That's fair. I, look, I think Nussmeyer, I, look, I've, I've been able to, covering recruiting, I've been able to follow Nussmeyer since he was at Flower Mount Marcus here in Texas up in the Metroplex. And I have thought he would come out, I really was thinking he would be the starter this year. And then, obviously, they brought in Will Howard, who hit the portal and is now at Ole Miss. And that kind of garnered a lot of people's attention, leaning more towards Will Howard and kind of bypassing Nussmeyer. And you got to be careful these days in situations like that because they could have ran the risk of Nussmeyer hitting the portal. And then if you get into a situation like this and Howard's gone, you're really screwed <laughs> in, in your quarterback room. I don't think Nussmeyer will win the quarterback competition. I think it will be a lot more – a lot closer than it was last season. I just feel like Jaden Daniels' experience this year and then having another offseason to grow off of it, I think it's only going to make him better. And I think it will make Nussmeyer better in the end where he can – if he just stays patient and he takes the Max Duggan route and he knows that after this year I'm still going to have Mason Taylor, I'm still going to have all this talent around me, I could be the guy – who in a couple of years could help us win a national championship. He's just got to be patient with it. I, but I think coming into this season, Daniels is still going to be your starter. When I say I don't think Daniels is a starter at the end of the year, it's not necessarily because he gets beaten out. Injuries? I, I really am very concerned about the injury risk with him. And the way we kind of at least talked about the segment before the show, it was, it was like what teams are going to take that step up because they have the combination of already being a good team and having a good quarterback, which should both kind of like in step take that step up. And I don't see that in step part of it that, that like I see 
you've got a really talented team with LSU, and then you've got two really talented quarterbacks, but I'm not sure if the consistency, the health, all of that's going to come together in the toughest conference in America for them to take a step up from 10 and 4. I think they will. Okay, and here's why I'm saying that. So I pulled up their schedule and I was looking. You're going to start the season uh, against Florida State in Orlando, okay? I think that's going to be probably one of the best games of the year. Both of those teams uh, yes, are going to be riding high. That is a must-watch. I don't give a damn what conference, what team you're affiliated with. Yeah, let's put you and Paul Paul Catalina oh. in the same room. Dude, well. that's going to be money. That's going to be out. money, man. But, okay, so look at the schedule, though. It's a lot – it's so more, so much more favorable for the Tigers this year. So, after Florida State, you get grambling, okay? And you got you go to Mississippi State. You have, unfortunately, uh, a new coaching change, a lot of players coming in and out. I, we don't really know what to expect from the dogs this season. You have an Arkansas team coming in who – that's always a tricky matchup. I mean, the battle for the golden boot, I think LSU is – there should be the favorite nine out of ten times, but Arkansas scares the hell out of me because they're, they're always that, – that's the game they get up for while LSU is like, okay, cool, this is just another game. Yep. Then you go to Oxford against the Ole Miss team who – they're so hard to figure out. They're so inconsistent. And I, I like Clay Kiffin. I think he's fun. I think he's one of the greatest trolls in college football. But sometimes <laughs> it just does not it. translate on the field. Yeah. Then you go to Missouri, you host Auburn, you got a new coach there, uh, a, really a whole new regime in general. You got Ron Roberts coming over, take care of the defense as well. This game I do not like. October 21st, you're playing Army. Yeah. I do not like that matchup for <laughs> yeah. LSU. The, that's one that you run the risk of getting upset. I say I like it better for Brian Kelly than I would have for Orgeron. I think to beat Army, you have to be disciplined. And that's I think fair. Brian Kelly brings more discipline. He does. That's not even arguable. Well, let's be real. The only the only game that I feel is like a certified loss on this schedule, no matter what, is at Bama. I disagree. I couldn't disagree with you more. Really? I could not disagree with you more. I do not trust Milrow replacing Bryce Young. I, that kid cannot throw to save his life. Now, he might develop and get better. When, but when it comes down to it, he can run his ass off. But I do not trust him in the passing game, especially against – all you got to do is spy him with Harold Perkins. It's over. I still just don't see Bama losing two in a row, especially with the second one being at home. I do. That's where we're going to differ on that one. By, by, I, by the I, way, guys, do you remember David Pollock, you know, basically declaring Georgia the new national power right to Nick Saban's face? <laughs> That's I think, true. I think that he, you know, awoke a monster because <laughs> you don't just say that with uh, with Nick Saban. I mean, how, do, how giving you, you the just... death stare? I think. <laughs> I, I think he's gonna. How can you gift the like That's inventor? Of, how can you gift the inventor of rat poison? That much rat poison. I, you really can't. Like, honestly. But that, that, that's one that's really intriguing for me. So, take a look you're, at this. You're right. This schedule does look very favorable for LSU. But if I may offer a worst-case scenario, not worst, Fair. but worst-case scenario, you drop the opener to Florida State. You're not ready. They are. And then you, you get snuck up on by one of Arkansas or Ole Miss. And then you lose to Bama. And you have to count on making sure Florida and A&M haven't finally, and this is a step, sorted some of their crap out. I Look. It, it, All it, of a sudden, you're 10-4 and four again, and you're not in the SEC title game. It's plausible. I just don't see it happening. 
I, I don't – and I think it really goes back to what you said a while ago about the discipline and the mindset and the culture change that is brought on by Brian Kelly. And I, I can't deny that, which is which is why I say, honestly, the schedule does look favorable for LSU. You, you might be converting me here. I'm telling you, man. It's, 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 I, I still don't trust Jalen Daniels' health or Nussmeyer's development and that combination of those two things. That's that's fair. I, look, I think both Daniels of them – goes out and Nussmeyer isn't developing. But that's the, that's the, the, the – that's also what two I don't very like. Different play exactly. When you have two totally different play styles between your starter and your backup, that can change the whole dynamic of your scheme, and mm-hmm. that can really be the difference in an eight-win and a five-win season if you want to get down to it. So unless LSU all of a sudden brings out a stud running back, which they could, they are the in the state of Louisiana. Look, they bring it, they're bringing back all three guys, and I think they're going to get a lot more comfortable. You're going to see them develop a little more, but they're still not going to have that Leonard Fournette Darius guy style back they're, they're just yeah. not going to have that this year but uh I feel like real quick we should jump into some other teams yes. not not go into the depth but uh number one on my list out of the other teams that I think are going to take a step up because of good QB play Notre Dame I think they're going to be competing yes. for for the playoff because uh Sam Hartman he's just a good QB on a team that I think is going to be a pretty dang solid team they are and, but look, and their schedule was released today uh they're going to play I believe they're going to play at USC, and they're playing another really tough road game. Uh, but that, that's going to be intriguing. And I think that he is an elite quarterback. And what I really like what uh, Marcus Freeman has going on over there. I was nervous the way the season started. At Clemson. At Clemson, that's it. Yep. And I was nervous about the way their season started, but they did a really good job of turning it around. And I, I'm really happy. I like Marcus Freeman. I'm not a big Notre Dame person in general. But him, I, I will support him night in and night out they also play ohio state the Dude, their, their schedule, schedule is brutal yeah i will say um i do expect them to take a step up from uh they were graded out as a b and went nine and four i expect ten and three from them honestly i expect ten and three from them so that's if, usually if that's about an, their standard if that's though. enough of a step up for you then we can call it a step up they're they're at least a team to watch in this regard they are i, I think when i'm looking at this one team that's going to have and unfortunately, I think they're going to take a step back is Tulane. Uh, yeah. They had an A-plus season this year. You lose your running back to the NFL. Michael Pratt was really solid, but I don't see them having the type of – like, I don't see them being a consistent program. I think they're going to be one to watch in the American going forward, but I don't see them being able to replicate what they did this season. So I see Tulane taking a step back there. Similarly, I'm going to say two teams at one time. Say one's taking a step forward, one's taking a step back. I do not know which one is going to do – do the step forward and which one's going to take a step back but washington and oregon one of them is going to step up the other one's not michael Penix jr and bo nicks i would say washington takes a step up um i think oregon I'm, I'm interested to see what happens there because now dillingham is gone what's your offense going to look like he did an excellent job with bo nicks um and while bo nicks had looked really good this season I remember the Bo Nicks from Oregon, and that's the one I'm all – I mean, from uh, Auburn, and that's the one I'm kind of waiting to resurface. Yeah, yeah, and that, if that happens this year, I would not be surprised. So, looking at them, I, I think that Washington and Penix take a step forward. Oregon is about neutral or might take a step back. And then lastly, I think we should swing out to the other coast and look at uh, North Carolina and Florida State. Florida State, I, I have probably too much confidence in them. I think Jordan Travis is going to take a step up. I think Florida He's State's going to take a step up. And it's really going to come down to, does Garrett Riley make the difference to keep Clemson on top in the ACC, or does Florida State go and take it this year? I think, look, 
Mm, man. I think Florida State might take it this year, but Clemson is definitely going to bounce back. And I know, yes. look, we were talking about Dabo kind of falling off, and I still stand by that. I think he does not like the transfer portal era. But this I think Garrett he did Riley a good hired. job bringing in Garrett Riley and bringing back Jeff Scott. I think those are really the key elements to making Clemson get back to being Clemson. Yeah. Meanwhile, UNC and Drake May. Drake May is a top prospect. I I don't know about UNC, though. I, look, man, it was, a, it was a great story. He's going to be a tremendous NFL quarterback. I just see North Carolina being – they're just a basketball school that plays football next year. Yeah, it's tough. And Mac Brown, he's been a good coach through his entire career. I just – I don't know if he can get them to where they want to be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But up next, we're going to get into the Big Ten. Who's going to replace Kevin Warren as the commissioner? Luke Fickle's on the uh, the trail right now, just torching the transfer portal. Is Ryan Day on the hot seat? We'll get into that next here on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie here with you. And it is now time to talk some Big Ten football. Oh, yeah. Let's get into the defense. Let's get ugly. Ooh. A lot of punts. Let's go. Iowa all day. Woo. The, okay, we can't start talking about the Big Ten without sta- uh, starting with Kevin Warren. Yep. He came in and completely changed the landscape of college football. Um, really just kind of bullied everybody. He was playing chess when other people were playing checkers. And then he leveraged that into <laughs> becoming the uh, um, leading the Chicago – was the president of the president Chicago of the Bears. Bears. Okay, that's a big – that's, like, such a flex on so many people. It's ridiculous. But how do you – like, how do you replace a guy who did that? Like, do you want to be the guy who has to step in and, and fill the shoes left behind by Kevin Warren after he just did what he did to college athletics? I mean, you can look at it one of two ways, I feel like. I feel like you can either look like, I have all the toys and we've, like, got a good foundation. We're going to have some fun. Or you can look at it like – if I mess around with this too much, we can fall off from the SEC and I will be the worst thing that ever happened to this conference. I, I just think it's so risky. Like, I would not want to be the person who directly follows him up. Get, maybe let me be the second one. Like, you don't want to be the guy who followed up John Wooden or something. Like, you know, you just – I don't, a I don't put standard. Kevin Warren in that kind of atmosphere. Dude, man, what he did I, – I, look, maybe I'm overblowing it. I just think what he did was, was so remarkable, such a land – like a landscape it was huge changing. for the conference it was huge for the conference it really was and when the news came out i was like okay one of the first names who popped in my head and this happens just all the time especially when it's regarding things up north was like oliver luck like so this is definitely going to be oh god we're going to hear oliver luck again luckily that name has not been brought up yeah until but you brought it up great until job. i brought it up great so job, i put Gary. it out there in the world there you go oliver luck so, but one name who is really at the top of the list is Jim Phillips, the, the ACC mm-hmm. commissioner, which I think is really funny when you look back at the alliance and what <laughs> Kevin Warren was kind of like how he pulled yeah. the wool over his eyes and what they were able to do to the, the Pac-12 as well. But this is a Chicago native. Uh, this is a guy who is very familiar with the conference. He spent time at Northwestern. He's mm-hmm. had some time at, at uh, Notre Dame as well. I just, I think he would be a great fit because – you already know what the standards are. You know what to expect right now in the current landscape of college athletics. I think it's almost biggest for the future dominoes that it could push over. He has a relationship with Notre Dame. 
who everyone and their mother feels like fits better with the Big Ten than they with do. the ACC. He's coming from the ACC, which would destabilize the ACC probably. All of a sudden, you like stuff comes in play if you take him from the ACC, I feel like. It does. And it comes in play earlier than I think we would be expecting the ACC to come into play. I don't look. I'm not. I don't think that if he came in and took the job, that within two or three years, no. I feel like Notre Dame. I don't. I don't think he could even with his ties. I don't no, see I don't him bringing Notre Dame into the Big Ten. I don't. I think Notre Dame is so. I, I think. I think the ACC falls before Notre Dame comes. But I think if he if he is with the Big Ten when the ACC falls, and I'm saying when, not if. That's oh, it's probably going a bold down. statement, yeah. but then I feel like that's great for the Big Ten. So maybe maybe they eye the future with with Phillips. But uh, there's some other other names that I feel like you kind of always have to mention when jobs like this come up. Who's, who's sticking out to you? He's not sticking out because I think he's going to get the job. He's just sticking out because it's Gene Smith. Oh, I definitely. Mean, I mean, definitely. like, you, you, he's an establishment. Ohio State has been running the conference because it's all about football and who's been the best at football up until the last two years. Ohio State. Ohio State. Who are, who are you apparently a homer for? <laughs> apparently Ohio State. Apparently an Ohio State homer, which, I mean, but they yeah. had the best, you know, some of the best uniforms in college football, but, you know, uh, other than that. that. Uh, but, yeah, so Gene Smith, his name pops out to me. Um, Jennifer Heppel, who was apparently a finalist last time this, this job was open uh, from the Patriot League, um, especially be, just because getting a female in that position of power, that, that would, uh, I feel like some people would be bargaining for that more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the name that's that's like absolutely number one sticking out to me, it's got to be uh, Mark Silverman, the Fox Television executive. That would be an intriguing move, just just given the landscape and and really the massive deal that the TV deal that uh, they just put together with the Big Ten. I think knowing that aspect and that side of things and all the loopholes would definitely be beneficial. I just don't know like from day-to-day details that you're dealing with school to school, how familiar he would be with that. But at the same time, we've seen in the Big 12, Brett Yormark come yeah. in. He had no experience whatsoever, and he's completely he's got changed. more experience that's like Silverman right. experience. And I just wonder if the the academic side of the Big 10, because they have to be approved by the presidents, I believe, right. um, if they kind of make a play to – get a president in that commissioner role or if they're like kind of getting uppity and being like we're not just about chasing the money even though that's all it really should be about at the end of the day because that's what the business is as sad as it is for me to say that so like i think they should go with a guy that's more like silverman but i wonder if the big 10 presidents are going to push for more like another president or chancellors it's intriguing that you brought that up because go kind of reverting back to Phillips in his situation, he was a candidate before Warren the first time. Mm-hmm. And what really kind of did him in was the votes from the presidents. But now there's been a, such a mass change of the guard across the, the conference that you have so many new faces. And I believe there's only like two uh, presidents in place that were there from the, the first hiring when Kevin Warren was brought on. So it'd be interesting to see if that kind of went into Phillips' favor as well. Uh, one, one name that is kind of intriguing to me is UCLA AD, uh, Martin Jarmond, yep. because you're bringing the Bruins in, you have the connections um, from the West Coast, and while you have that LA market, I feel like his ties in the community could help them expand more out there. So that would be intriguing as well. But do you turn the keys over to someone who's brand new? Probably not. That's the one thing it's that, an, that's it's kind an of interesting option to me. they've got. 
It's a very interesting option. There. It really is. But, look, regardless, I think that whoever replaces Kevin Warren, they're going to have big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. But they are going to have one hell of a conference that they're going to be representing. They've got some toys to play with. And I, I want to start with this when we look at the teams here. And yeah, I broke getting, this getting down. Getting into the conference let's a bit get, more. Let's get, get back, into the get meat back potatoes. to the gridiron. So, okay, I broke this up into my dark horse team, uh, a team that I feel is most intriguing, my favorite, and then we're going to get into – some some stuff with the Buckeyes, but yeah. I think my dark horse team this year is Wisconsin. Um, I like what the Badgers do from a traditional standpoint. I've always respected um, what they do as a culture, their brand, Camp Randall, just the ground and pound. Now, I don't know what it is. I just I've watched them play LSU a few times and just pushed them to the brink. And there, there's been so many times where they were the better team and just didn't get the win. But I have so much respect for them. And then you bring in Luke Fickle. And what he's been able to do, he's going to change the uh, the way they really do things from an offensive standpoint. I think you're still going to have that base run, ground and pound attack, but you bring in Tanner Mordecai from SMU. Uh, this kid is phenomenal. He could torture you through the air and with his legs. I've been able to watch him since high school here in Waco. Uh, I'm, I'm 110% supportive of that kid. You bring in Nick Evers as well. Mm-hmm. And then the icing on the cake, Phil Longo. Yeah, You go bring Phil Longo in from North Carolina to be your OC. We talked about Drake May and his development. And what he is going to be able to do with Tanner and Nick Evers is going to be really remarkable. And for I mean, that reason. Don't, don't discount that. I believe uh, some of the guys on the 3-6 to six show said this yesterday. But Fickle is very well aware of how well Mordecai can play. Oh, He's yeah, faced he him the last few years. Yeah. And Longo definitely had every say in that transfer as well. Mordecai is the guy they want. Yeah. Like, that's their dude. Handpicked from the portal. I think another thing that's going to give Wisconsin an advantage, um, over, not necessarily over Michigan and Ohio State, but the, the, the rest of the field, in particular like a Penn State, is Luke Fickle's ties to the state of Ohio when it comes to recruiting. I think they're going to do a really excellent job of flipping or maybe stealing some of those guys who would consider going to Ohio State or definitely consider going to Cincinnati. I think they're going to do a good job of stealing that. I also think bringing in your players like Tanner and them is going to open the door to recruit Texas and get some of those skill players in a sense like Ohio State has done over the course of the past five or six years. I think that is much bigger for Wisconsin Absolutely than, is. than the Ohio stuff, especially since I feel like the recruits they'd be getting out of Ohio, they'd be taking off of Michigan State, Purdue, other, right. other Big Ten schools right. instead of taking them off Michigan and Ohio State. But Wisconsin, they're going to get the big uglies. Oh, they're yeah. going to get the linebackers. I think it's mostly about finding those skill position guys, getting good DBs, good wide receivers, and getting them from places like Texas. But I will say Wisconsin is a dark horse. I think I, I have every belief that they could win the Big Ten West. It's a weak division. I don't think that even Purdue, the reigning champ of the division, like th- they've got an interesting situation. We're, we don't need to get into that today. We can get into it yeah. another time. I love Purdue. I just, but um, I just don't see anyone as so convincing in that division to make me feel like Fickle can't come in and win at year one. But I still think they show up in Indianapolis and they get they get beaten. Yeah. And they get beaten by multiple scores. I mean, look, that's fair. I think they will So when you well. say Dark Horse, I'm not – I wouldn't be saying Dark Horse if you're talking about actually winning the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten, but I think they can make it interesting. I really do. Um, my most intriguing team has definitely got to be Nebraska. Um, <laughs> this is a team who really since they've gone if to I the – If I could get hard knocks for Nebraska this year. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> oh, boy. It, you, would, you would kill it. 
I, I just think that, look, once they went to the Big Ten and they lost their foothold from recruiting Texas, they've kind of become irrelevant. Um, they made arguably the best hire that program has seen in really maybe since Osborne, bringing in Matt Rule. Uh, Matt Rule's a genius, and if all you really got to do is check his track record. I know what happened in the NFL in Carolina didn't pan out the way things wanted to be, but we've seen that happen to numerous guys. Look at Nick Saban. He's the greatest college coach ever. It just didn't work out in the NFL. There are some guys who, as much as they might want to succeed in the NFL, their coaching style is just so much better suited to college. Yeah. And I fully believe Matt Rule is one of those Absolutely. guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know? And, and I think, look, you're going to have Casey Thompson coming back as a quarterback. You're also bringing in Jeff Sims from uh, Georgia Tech. So that's going to be intriguing to watch the battle. Uh, I think Casey was kind of just he was really dis I just really was not pleased with the way he played last year. He was so inconsistent. But I think Matt Rule and getting that system can really get the most out of him. But when it comes down to it, the ability to get back in the state of Texas and recruit at a high caliber. Matt Rule's in Waco today. He was at Midway High School earlier this morning recruiting. Oh, wow. Okay. And you brought in Dr. Susan Elza, who was the uh, the president of the UIL in Texas, which is the governing body for athletics, okay? She is coming on as your chief of staff. You also bring in uh, one of the best high school football coaches in Texas in Arlington Martins, Bob Wagner. And it's eerily similar to what we saw here in Waco where you bring in Wetzel, Sean Bell, Joey McGuire. He, Matt Rule did such an excellent job of embracing the Texas High School Coaches Association. They welcome that man with open arms into any school. And you add yep. Dr. Elza in them into the mix, he can get any player in Texas he wants. Almost. I mean, pr pretty close. Sell your role there I'm, a little. Dude, but I'm telling you. I will say there's, there's some up upsides to Nebraska that, frankly, just don't exist at a place like Baylor. The yeah. culture, the history, the fan base, they're all a clear step above. Yeah. A clear step above. So I think, honestly – Rule might be further away from Texas, from the recruiting bit he really wants to hit, but he's got more to work with. And he also brought in the boy wonder, Garrett McGuire. <laughs> like, dude, I think what he's been able to do there is so remarkable. And I'm not saying it's going to translate this season at do, all. In fact, I do not expect it to translate this no, season. If you look, Matt Rule's what? He usually takes about year three is when you really start to see it and pop. you know why, he, why it takes to year three? It's because he comes in, he looks at all the upperclassmen, and he is like, if you don't do things this way, the right way, if you don't trust our process, yeah, you're not playing. Yeah. I will play these freshmen. They will be bad, but they will learn and they'll have that experience. So then in year three, how much experience those guys that trusted his process and played and have that talent, mm -hmm. the amount of experience they have, they will be scary in year three. But this year, I expect some, honestly, some pretty decent growing pains. I, th I think he will as well, but he also brings a fine balance of having fun and being disciplined. And that is a rare trait that he has that a lot of, a lot of coaches really don't. My favorite yeah, let's get is to your favorite. Michigan. We are running a little slow my, on the podcast okay. today. My, my favorite is Michigan. I think Jim Harbaugh, obviously that's a distraction year in and year out, the dance with the NFL. He is coming back. You bring back J.J. McCarthy, which – he hasn't really had his established quarterback in his entire tenure there. You're going to have that this season. Uh, you bring back both of your running backs in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, which if Blake Corum was playing, we could say what it is. That, that TCU game might have been a little different. Um, 
they're going to need to find a, a wide receiver. Bell's going to hit the um, – he, he's going to go to the NFL. Your offensive line, you lose two pieces, you bring back three, and you've added two from the portal. Yeah, honestly, I don't have too many questions about Michigan on the field. I've got many, many more questions about the Michigan athletic department yeah. and how Harbaugh coming back was announced by Harbaugh and the president of Michigan, of the University of Michigan, not the AD. Right. And I just don't think that AD is long for his, uh, his job. It might not be. And at this point, Harbaugh is the Michigan guy. I think he'll get the and pass more so than the AD. If, if they move on from the AD, does that make Harbaugh more stable or is it still going to be every year flirting with the NFL? Well, if, if they move on from the AD and Harbaugh says, you know, maybe I don't get out of coaching, I'll slide into the AD role. Could that be a possibility? That'd be interesting, but I don't see it personally. But that I had not thought of that. I mean, it's, it's just something to keep in mind. I, yeah. You know, but – you this is what? where you get down to the nuts and bolts. Yeah. Is Ryan Day on the hot seat? That was my big question. That was, that was my huge question because, honestly, you know how much the game means to those two schools. Oh, yeah. Losing two in a row. That's brutal. And remind me, how many national championships does Ryan Day have? Uh, zero. And how much has he shown that he can do at least what Urban Meyer did? Uh, it's been rare. It's been it's been slim pickings. I also don't think that has too much to do with the competition level, because you should still be able to beat Michigan, especially with the playmakers you have. Yeah, like player for player, their roster is significantly better than Michigan's. So, is he one of the best and most successful coaches in college football today? Yes. Is he what Ohio State wants and frankly needs? Probably not. Okay, what what is their all right? In order for him to keep his job this season, what do you think their record needs to be? It needs to be whatever beats Michigan and gets them in the playoff. Yeah, that that that's it. I, I'm not going to put numbers out there. It's beat Michigan, be in the playoff. So if he loses to Michigan this year, is he gone? Yes, I don't think he even gets to coach the playoff game if Ooh. they if they make the playoff while beating Michigan again. Which would probably which I don't put, think happens, but that would be. Weird, but honestly, you lose three in a row to Michigan, I don't think you get the playoff game. So if he doesn't coach the playoff game, then that's probably going to mean Brian Hartline, who was just named your offensive coordinator, is going to be your head coach. Do you see a situation or a scenario where shit hits the fan, he's Ryan Day's fired, and Hartline comes in and takes over? Does he stay the head coach, or do they look a different route? I think they have to look because I just don't trust Hartline's lack of top level coaching experience like yes he's probably the best single position coach in the country especially one of the best recruiters in the country for the position he's supposed oh, to recruit. Doubt. but the man hasn't been calling plays the man hasn't been managing the whole team like and you're also replacing cj stroud which is not an easy task yeah so i i honestly think they'd go another direction with the almost belief probably maybe possibly even telling Hartline. When this guy's finally done, we're looking at you. Right. If you keep up your success. 
It's going to be interesting, man. And you also got Luke Fickle sitting over there in, in Wisconsin yeah. building it. If he has some success, it feels like you it definitely feel he's going to get like the call. We will look back at this offseason for the Big Ten and be like, oh, man, this was the start of a lot of stuff. You know what? I think you're really onto something there. And that's going to be one to keep an eye on. The Big Ten's always intriguing. They're going to, they've, Right now, they're going to garner so much attention because of what Kevin Warren uh, has set them up into the position to be. And it's going to be fun to watch. But, you know, we're going to put a bow on this next. We're going to talk some hoops, and we're going to head out to the SEC. There's a lot of intriguing storylines out there, some good, some bad. But we're going to dive into that next here on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie here with you. And we were going to get into our favorite games or best games that we saw from the 2022 season. But due to time constraints, we're going to save that for next week because we want to try to really get in a basketball segment every time. And we've really dove heavy in the Big 12, and rightfully so. It's yeah. it's, it's the hands down the best conference in America when it comes to, to uh, college basketball on the men's side. And the women's side is really starting to get that way as well. I mean, the SEC is solid on the women's side, but you're starting to see more parity there as well. But let's do that. Let's talk a little SEC basketball, Jack. And there's been a lot of good games. There's been a lot of intriguing storylines. Uh, the one team that's really stuck out to me the most has been the issues at Kentucky with Calipari and Oscar Shibway calling the team out. And I know they got a big win last night against Georgia. But overall, when you look at this conference, man, what's really standing out to you? Well, obviously this week you've got the uh, the sad news surrounding Alabama and, uh, and Darius Miles getting kicked off the team after – uh, being uh, charged with capital murder. Um, yeah. And I believe it's uh, said that he provided the gun in that case. Uh, we're not going to dive too deep into that, but Bama's a leader in the clubhouse right now. Um, they're they're 6-0 in conference. They're ranked number four overall in Ken Palm with the number 12 offense and the number six defense. That's one of the best combinations oh, yeah. in the country. Uh, surprisingly, Tennessee's ranked higher. Tennessee is actually ranked higher in Ken Palm with the number one defense and the number 45 offense. Uh, so those those are the two top dogs, but everything seems to be surrounding Alabama um, because they, they've been putting on a show this year, man. They, uh, they've won seven in a row. They're 16-2. and two, And on top of those other, the Ken Palm figures I already said, uh, they've got the number two strength of schedule. So they are 16-2 and two on a seven-game winning streak with one of the toughest schedules in America. I mean, they've beaten Houston. They've beaten Arkansas and Kentucky. Uh, they did lose to UConn on a neutral court, and they did lose at home to Gonzaga. Mm. But, I mean, they they have challenged themselves this year, and now they're just looking to run the table in the SEC. They are a fun team. Uh, I unfortunately watched them absolutely boat race LSU 106 <laughs> to 66, and – I, dude, I, I really was just like, what the heck is happening here? Brandon Miller just went absolutely off. They had The Tigers had no answer for him. And I just think it's a testament to what they've been able to build there as, as a culture and a brand. And that's one where you got to keep Oates. Like, you can't afford yeah, to lose we, him. We talked about this last week. He's a, he's a hot commodity. He was my favorite for the Texas job. But I think that the unfortunate news from this week does put a little damper on that momentum in my mind just because not saying I'm not saying Nate Oates had any way of knowing or handling right. or anything to do with that just when stuff surrounds you especially when Texas is getting out of the situation their previous coach got them in 
it can be a little hairy. I think it's going to be more intriguing to look at how he rallies the troops, how he keeps the morale, and how he does not let that become a distraction because that's something that is nobody wants to ever have to deal with um, all the way around. It's it's just a horrible situation. But if you can keep your team focused and you can still be able to play at a high level without one of your key players and be successful, then that's going to make – you still a hot commodity, and I think that's going to kind of defer the, the maybe negative attention he's getting. But if you're Alabama, man, you have to do everything in your power to keep that man in Tuscaloosa. Yep. Raise the buyout, sign him to an extension, whatever you got to do, keep him there because he's bringing in highly touted recruits. He's bringing in guys who want to run up and down the court, scoring the ball, playing exciting basketball. They've got the number four tempo in the nation, according to Ken Palm. It's ridiculous. Number four. They are going – they scored 100-plus on LSU. They – like, they just go – They it's fun basketball. It can be a little sloppy at times, but it's exciting. And then you go and you see the other top dog in the SEC, and it's kind of the opposite. They slow it down a little more, and they've got the number one defense in the nation. When Tennessee and Alabama meet on – checks notes uh, – February 15th. That's going to be a game that probably decides a lot in the SEC race for the regular season. As a basketball team, do you like the style, or what do you think the style benefits more nowadays? Is it that fast pace, or is it slowing it down, slugging it out, or is it just one of those where it's got to be matchup per matchup, and any given night, that style could win? I think, given the nature, and this might sound like a cop-out, given the nature of referees in college basketball, you have to be able to play the ugliest, slowest game well. That's fair. You can always be slowed down, whether it's by the other team or by the refs. It is very tough to speed up a team that badly wants to play slow. Like, go go try and speed up Virginia. Try and speed up Virginia. Yeah, you're not going to be able to. You're not going to speed up Virginia. No. No, They're going to go. They're going to play their pack line defense. Once you miss a shot, they're going to walk the ball up the court. They're going to get into their half-court set. They're going to take their time. It's just how it goes. I was thinking about this, and because there's a lot of talented coaches in the SEC, and if you were being recruited right now and you had to go to the SEC, is there one coach in particular that you're all in, like you're going to go play for that guy, and is there a guy out there that you're like, you know what, I don't care what your track record is, I do not want to be a part of your program. Nate Oates could be fun. I would personally stay away from Calipari. Oh, yeah. I just don't. No, 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 no. Maybe it's just like a, a personality vibe thing. I wouldn't do Cal Perry. Um, I know, I think you mentioned before the show, Bruce Pearl is one you would stay away from. I'm not going near Bruce Pearl, and I'm not going near Cal Perry. I don't trust either one of those guys on or off the court. It took me a minute to figure out who I was like, oh, wait, no, I'd play for him. But once I figured it out, I was like, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Buzz Williams. What? Yeah, Buzz Williams. Why? Why Buzz? The vibes are right, man. The vibes are just right with it. He, he's a hard-nosed guy, but he seems like he really loves the guys he brings in. He cares deeply. He seems like a good person trying to do his best and get the best out of his players. And overall, the style of basketball, I, I haven't watched a much this year, uh, but the style I remember him having at Virginia Tech and bringing to Texas, uh, Texas A&M is just, it's hard-nosed, but it's not, it's not too ugly. That's interesting. I think if it was me, I would 
probably have to lean – well, Nate Oates is obviously – I'm going to take him out of it because he's probably – I would definitely go play for Nate Oates. I would play for Eric Musselman in a heartbeat. Yeah, Musselman's a good one. And Rick Barnes. Like, I think Rick Barnes got, like most Texas coaches, the raw end of a deal <laughs> and yeah. has kind of gone on to flourish. Uh, that man knows how to play – how to coach basketball. He knows how to win. He knows how to build a, a solid foundation. and He can put guys in the league – those are the two that I'm looking at that I would definitely give some consideration, but I would not go to Kentucky and I would not go to Auburn. Garrett, I I, I just got to ask, did Chris Beard get the raw end of any deal? That's the one exception of the coach. <laughs> that guy got exactly I, what was coming to him. I'm just looking out for you because uh, <laughs> that dude got exactly it's, it's, it's what pre- was coming to him. It's pretty fresh in the news. And no. uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, no, just, I just wanted Beard's to have your back and clarify. Got exactly what was coming to him. It probably needs some more. But yeah, but look, looking back at uh, Cal Perry and Kentucky, Stuff just it hasn't seemed right there lately over the last few years. So and I don't know if that's he's missing on recruits or people are getting tired of his shtick. I don't think they – okay, so he's got the number one recruiting class coming in next season. But the problem with them is really their offense. While they have shooters who can shoot the lights out, he's not putting them in position to get the open shots. And See, that's I, very interesting. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, it's maybe his ego is getting in the way. But he needs to kind of relinquish the the X's and O's over to somebody else. Maybe get some youth in there to kind of relate to the guys, because it's what, what's happening right now is not working. When you have some, when you, you, see, have, you you say all that, but over the last four years, including this year, he's only had an offense outside the top twenty-five in adjusted efficiency on Ken Palm once. Okay, but I feel like right now, when you look at the season, it's a bad look it's starting to trend in the wrong direction and if you go back and look at his his track record you've seen this happen over the course of of his tenures everywhere he's been whether it was at UMass or wherever else it's always he's he wears thin on people for he's you can only deal with Calipari and his ego for so long I agree with that I just don't see that coming to fruition in the offense I see it coming to fruition more in recruiting. I see it coming to fruition. The end of the one-and-done era in college basketball is what I think has Kentucky and Calipari where they're currently at. He was thriving with one-and-done. Oh, yeah. Thriving with guys who weren't there long enough to get worn down by him. Yeah, but w- that also led to them not having a consistent program year in and year out. Like, like you weren't able to build sus- yep. and sustain it. Like, it's cool. It's great that you're putting all these guys in the league and you have one one title yeah. with all of that talent in 15 years? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I, at some point, you've got to look and say, I don't care about having a top five recruiting class for the rankings. I need to maybe have a top 15, top 20, but have people who can do their jobs. I think, like, Scott Drew, what he's done. And, while I, and I'm a little nervous about that because it I can, feel like he's kind of venturing off into can, these one It can be an even lower-rated recruiting class, like, Fringe top 25, like Matt Painter. Absolutely. He just, he gets the guys he wants. He gets the guys who are right for his system. And they plug and chug. Choo-choo. Yeah. To me, it's got to be about the right fit. But the the SEC is going to be intriguing. Uh, Here in a couple weeks when you have the SEC Big 12 Challenge, I think it would be fun to really dive into that, kind of look at some of the matchups you're going to have going forward We'll definitely get a better idea of where the SEC as a conference is at, comparing it to the best conference in the land. And frankly, it might it might expose some teams in the Big Twelve. Right, might I 
doubt it personally, but it's always it's always we'll fun. See where it goes. It's always a good time when the SEC and the Big Twelve get together on the hardwood. But that's going to do it for us today. We appreciate you listening to the College Chaos Podcast. Yeah, sorry we didn't get to the best games of last last football season, but hey, tune in next time. It's going to be a good segment. We're going to get that to you next time. Be sure to go and follow College Chaos Pod on Twitter. You can find me at underscore Garrett Ross on Twitter. Jack, where they can find where can they find you at? Uh, at Jack Mac nineteen ninety eight on Twitter. Hit my boy up. Give him a follow. Jacob Wilson, you were shooting the, shooting the shield. What did y'all have last night? Uh, last night we had uh, R.J. Ochoa on to talk a little bit about the Cowboys' uh, win over the Buccaneers and looking at the, uh, the matchup they got this week against the 49ers. We, uh, we talked a little bit about the, uh, you know, the landscape of the rest of the NFL going into the playoffs. That divisional round, we broke down the wild card weekend. And, uh, you know, we did a little recast segment as well. It was Family Guy. Yeah. Nice. Had a lot of fun. A little silly segment that we like to do every week. But, yeah, Tuesdays at, at uh, around 630, uh, tune into our Cowboys and NFL channels for Shooting the Shield with me and Tanner Carlson. Be sure to check that out. Also, you got the BearCast every Tuesday, Tuesday going at live at noon, uh, 365 this. Sports in the evening. Yep. Uh for the BearCast, that's on our uh, Baylor channel, uh, Sikkim365 on YouTube. And uh, the main show is obviously the, uh, found on the main channel, 365 Sports. And get all your news on Baylor Bears at Sikkim365.com. But that's going to do it for us today. Till next time, holler out, everybody. <laughs>